Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. I wanted for us to today talk about uh, the movement of Islam, and I know many of us are hearing things uh, on the radio, on television, dealing with ISIL or ISIS, and that normally gets the play on many of our media broadcasts, but it's important as Christians that we understand what the teachings of Islam is and what the tenets are that we can better respond to some of their um, propagations and to some of their teachings. So it's always best to know uh, or be exposed to the teachings and, and to know what they believe so if our neighbor or co-workers next to us, we'll be able to share with them in love. Now, for today's segment, we are blessed and we are excited to have uh, Professor Daniel Janasik from Southern Evangelical Seminary. Uh, Professor Janasik, how are you? I am fine, Perseus. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. All. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on Sound Reasoning. So our first question is, what are the origins of Islam uh, Briefly, well, it's a great start off. Um, I would separate it into the traditional origins and the historical origins. In other words, there is the traditional Muslim view, where in the uh, early seventh century, early six hundreds, there is this man Muhammad who was unlettered. In other words, he could not read or write. Who was given a revelation from Allah. The, the true God, according to Islam, and these revelations occurred over a 23-year period, and that laid down the basis of the Quran, and from that, and from his life and uh, actions, and the group that he put together called the Muslims, Islam was born over a period of time, That uh, and then it swept across the Middle East, and now it is the second largest religion in the world. That's a traditional view. What we're finding, though, from the historical sources of people who actually lived at that time, who wrote about Islam, uh, you get a very different story. Uh, Perseus, I know that you got your uh, bachelor's in history, and you know that history often tells a different story right. than legend. So what we're finding is that a lot of the traditional Muslim view is probably just legend uh, and even fictional. And the historical view shows that um, uh, Islam started as an intermediate monotheism, mm -hmm. a religion that was neither Jude Judaism or Christianity, but kind of a rejection of those two religions mm -hmm. there in Arabia. It was an intermediate monotheism that really rejected the deity of Christ. They held Christ high, highly, as a prophet, but not as God himself. Mm -hmm. And there were these heretical views especially in the backwaters of uh, places like Arabia. And this was just one of those religions that uh, got hold of a, uh, an apocalyptic preacher like Muhammad and others, and uh, by the sword they were able to conquer uh, a pretty vulnerable area. And then about uh, 70 years after the time Muhammad died, he died 632, according to the legend, or according to the story, 
And then in the uh, 685 to 705, there was this man, Abdul Malik, who was the leader, the caliph. And it seems like Islam really started under Abdul Malik. And he had the power. He had all this control, new control over this area. And he wanted to solidify it. And in order to do that, he felt like he needed to be like other governments. He needed a, a religion mm. that would be his own, a prophet that they could turn to, and a holy book. And so you have the formation of Islam, Muhammad, and the Quran. Thank you for that uh, succinct explanation. Now, my next question deals with what the, uh, the, the whole name of being a Muslim. You explain what Islam is. What does it mean to be uh, a follower of Islam? Okay. Well, Islam, uh, the word itself means submission, uh, obedience. Um, and then a Muslim is one who submits. So the essence of being a Muslim is submitting to God or Allah. In other words, being a slave, almost a slave to God, doing whatever you need to do. And in, in a sense, that's good. In fact, that's why they would say that uh, Jesus was a Muslim, and Abraham was a Muslim, mm. and Moses was a Muslim, because they submitted right. to God. Well, right. yes, they submitted to God, but in a different way. So it's really false for them to... Uh, infer that Jesus was a Muslim. He was not. Islam did not start until uh, after this time of Muhammad. But it basically means being submitted uh, and obedient to the law, which is called Sharia. So Sharia comes up a lot. It's basically the law that is based on the words and actions of Muhammad, not so much the Quran, but uh, the words of Muhammad, which are in the Hadith. And we'll probably mention that a little bit later. So it's really not a religion of the heart, like Christianity right. is a religion of the heart. It's more of a religion of the sword, one that calls for obedience. Do this or else. Mm. Now, you talked about the Sharia law. There are certain states that I know uh, will desire to have uh, Sharia law practices in their country. So Tell us about the different denominational difference between those uh, uh, Islamic countries that prefer Sharia law versus those uh, that may tolerate non-Sharia law uh, or looser laws. Okay. Basically, in Islam, you have two uh, sects, S-E-C-T-S, uh, the, the Sunni and uh, the uh, Shia. Mm -hmm. The Sunnis make up about 85%. The Shia would make up about 15, 10 to 15%. Then you have smaller, smaller groups. In these uh, groups, both of them advocate Sharia in, uh, when they want to uh, have a strong hold on the, on the government through Islam. So Sharia, the closer you get to Sharia or the more that you hold to Sharia, the more you're going to say that the country needs to be ruled by Islam. In other words, a theocracy. So in a theocracy, you can't have a democracy. Mm. A democracy will pull away from Sharia, because Sharia is based upon God's law, or Allah's law, through the Prophet Muhammad. And so even in, whether it's Sunni or whether it's Shia, uh, ISIL, ISIS, mm -hmm. I don't like ISIL, ISIL is not a good reference, but ISIS is uh, basically Sunni, and uh, they want to hold to a strict Sharia because that is what the Quran advocates, and they want a theocracy. Uh, 
so they will reject the democracy. Whereas um, countries uh, that advocate, um, there aren't too many Muslim countries that advocate democracy because right. it is right. anti-Islam right. Uh, in many ways. It's anti-Sharia. Right. But uh, those that would advocate it uh, would have a, like Indonesia, let's say. Indonesia would want uh, to get away from a lot of that, though many in Indonesia hold to it. And there are some good aspects of Sharia in that it creates a controlled environment. People know how they're supposed to act, what they can do, what they shouldn't do. Right. And it provides structure. But it's right. a rigorous structure and a devastatingly... Um, anti-freedom type of structure that doesn't allow creativity or true spirituality, I think. It's a contrived um, oppression. Right, right, and and, and I, I totally agree with you. That leads me to my next question, which to me is the core of Islam, and that's dealing with the five pillars. So uh, we're dealing with the Shahada, the Salat, the Zakat, the Psalm, the Hajj, and the Jihad. Can you uh, kind of touch on those uh, five pillars for us. Sure, sure. Basically, it's good to understand that Islam is more of an orthopraxy rather than orthodoxy. What I mean by that is orthopraxy is right practice, right actions, whereas Christianity is more of a orthodoxy, right doctrine. So we follow a doctrine, and we have freedom in that. They follow a practice, and, and that's why the the Sharia is so strong because you've got to do things the way that the you know the Hadith and the the um, and the Quran advocate. So they have the five pillars, and one ingenious thing about Islam, I think, is that Islam, in a sense, is very easy to follow. It doesn't have uh, a lot of uh, deep theology. Um, it, it, it's a very practical religion, let's say. So there's the first of all, there are the five pillars you would have what is called Shahada, and this is the creed, the uh, basic creed, and it says that there's only one God, Allah, and his, he has one pro, uh, a final prophet, Muhammad, and that's why Muhammad is so, so um, esteemed, because he brought the final revelation of Allah. But there's only one God. That is the creed that you are supposed to say um, when you become a, uh, a Muslim from another religion, and it's what's whispered in the ear of an infant when they are born, mm. uh, and told to them daily, because it's in the second pillar, the Salat, or prayer, five times a day. So the ingenious part about this is that it's a reminder five times a day to a Muslim of their relationship to Allah. So they're supposed to bow down and go through their um, their rakahs, their different um, uh, forms of, of prayer, and Every time they will say, a number of times, the Shahada, there's only one God and Muhammad is his prophet. So it's drilled into them over and over and over again, very simply, but very effectively. And the third pillar would be the zakat, or the tithe. This is about 2.5% per year, one-fortieth of a person's wealth. And so they would give that to the mosque, or they would give that to a charity or to others. Um, and that's part of their, their faith. And then there would be the, the psalm, or the fasting, and you would realize this through Ramadan, the mm-hmm. month of fasting, where they are not supposed to eat anything during the day, or um, drink anything, or even swallow their spit, 
it's very rigorous, and uh, that's why many of them will just rest and not work or even sleep during the day. And during the night, then they can go ahead and feast and, and do whatever they want. So they just kind of turn the, the, the calendar. But for some, it's a time of devotion, a time that they're supposed to reflect on their religion and read the Quran all the way through and you know divide it up into 30 different readings. So it's supposed to be a reflective time. Um, uh, and then there's a Hajj, which is a pilgrimage. If they're able to, they will make a pilgrimage to Mecca, go through a number of different uh, routines and practices there. One of those would be going around the Kaaba, that black box that uh, used to house the 360 uh, pagan gods, and now just has this uh, meteorite on the outside, and it's supposed to be the focal point of Islam. And you wonder, why are they using a stone, a pagan stone, as a focal point? But anyway, the, the Hajj is supposed to be a, a spiritual high for people, if they can afford it. But there's a sixth pillar that's often put in, and that's jihad. Mm -hmm. Jihad itself just mm -hmm. means struggle, mm -hmm. and they talk about an internal struggle as being the greater jihad, your struggle against yourself, so that you do what is right, and, and so on. And, but then there's the external uh, jihad, which is supposed to be the lesser jihad. But that's the one that we're talking about mostly. That's the one where they're trying to, to force people to become Muslims. And uh, that's what uh, ISIS is all about, jihad and the jihadis. So those would be the uh, main pillars. And note that they're simple but effective. Right. And I, I think that that's one reason that Islam has been so effective. One part of the Sharia, I think, that has uh, probably kept Muslims as Muslims over time has been the apostasy laws. And it does say in the Quran, that, uh, and especially in the Hadith, that if somebody turns away from, from uh, the true religion, Islam, then they should be killed. Well, if you have that death sentence over you, uh, if you try to, to worship uh, in a different way or become a Christian, then uh, it's a great deterrent for anyone. And so I think that's why it's been so successful in spreading because, one, if you were born a Muslim, you're supposed to always be a Muslim. So if you turn away, then you're to be killed. If you uh, convert to Islam and you find later, well, I don't want to be a Muslim, you can't turn back because you are to be killed. Mm. So it's a great deterrent, and a, um, but a false way to, uh, to get people to really worship from the heart. So that's why I say it's not a religion of the heart, it's a religion of the sword. Thank you so much. Uh, we are on air with Professor Daniel Janosik from Southern Evangelical Seminary, and he's sharing with us information about Islam that would help us in our witness toward those of the Islamic faith. My next question is, what is the Muslim doctrine concerning Jesus Christ? Concerning Jesus? Uh, well, they hold Jesus very highly. Uh, some will often say, oh, I love Jesus, or they really are saying Isa. Mm -hmm. uh, which is not a proper pronunciation, even in Arabic, for uh, Jesus. It should be Yeshua, or some form right. like that, of Joshua. But uh, for them, they hold Jesus in high esteem. They count him as one of the prophets. They do count about 124,000 prophets. Twenty-five are mentioned in the uh, Quran. Most of those are from the Old Testament, and Jesus is counted as one of those prophets, as is Muhammad. But they do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God, mm. that he's not deity at all. They do not believe that he died on the cross, and therefore there is no 
salvation through Jesus. Mm. They do believe that Jesus was taken up to, up to heaven by Allah without dying, and that at the end time he will return, but when he returns, he will destroy the cross, which means he will destroy Christianity. He will call Christians to Islam and say that you must become a Muslim or you will die. Mm. Mm. And that's not the Jesus of the Bible at all. That's not the Jesus of Christianity. So they, the, um, the essence of Islam is to, uh, to thwart Christianity. I believe that it began as a polemic against Christianity and Judaism, mm. the true belief of God. And uh, so it's, uh, its view of Jesus is not at all what Christians believe, and therefore uh, we should call it a heresy, right. it's a heresy of, Christ, of, uh, of the true, true belief in Jesus. Now, symbolism means a lot in our society and even in ancient worlds, and uh, for the Christian, uh, many of us attach ourselves to the symbolism of the cross, but in Islam, we notice the crescent moon. What impact or what uh, reference does that have for them? Okay. Well, it's interesting because the cross uh, for us is a form of execution, and it's, a, it's supposed to be a reminder that we will uh, die for our Lord. We will, um, instead of rejecting him, we will uh, be martyred. Um, not that we would uh, be killed or kill ourselves to kill other people, but right. we would uh, rather die in, rather than reject Jesus. Now, the crescent moon is very interesting, moon and the star, because uh, it's not original to, to Islam. It's a pagan symbol from way back. It, it's been used as uh, uh, being linked to uh, the moon god, the sun god, and then even later representing female deities like uh, Diana, uh, also known as Artemis. So you have these symbols uh, throughout, and people have wondered, well, is this showing the pagan roots of Islam? Did they worship the moon god? Um, uh, and well, there are some links to that, perhaps, but uh, um, really the symbol, the moon and the, the crescent moon and the star, were not used by the Muslims until really the Ottoman Empire, which was uh, after the 12th century, up to the 20th century. And the Ottomans seem to have uh, derived their symbols, symbol for, um, uh, for Islam from, really, uh, Constantinople, which now is Istanbul, because it was one of the symbols that was used in Constantinople by the Byzantine Empire. Right. Um, but it's, it, now it represents uh, Islam, it's interesting that you have uh, an improbable symbol because you can't have a star show, showing behind a crescent moon because the moon is solid. So you wouldn't have a star, so it's a, an anomaly there. But uh, Islam is a religion that follows a lunar calendar, so there is that tie to the moon. Um, they do not follow the, the solar calendar that we do, so that's why they have uh, different... Uh, period for a year following their calendar. Um, but the symbol is is interesting. It, you, you need to think of it more in today's terms rather than historical because it's been changed a lot. And especially for non-Muslims, we look at that and we see, okay, that's Islam. For Muslims, it may mean different things. Right. But uh, certainly it has been a unifying symbol, 
now for modern Muslims. So uh, it means many things over time, but it is a symbol that, uh, that does represent Islam to some extent today. Thank you so much. We are on air once again with Professor Daniel Janasek from Southern Evangelical Seminary. And we only have a couple of minutes left, uh, Professor, but uh, the last question that I have for you deals with uh, maybe some reading materials uh, that you can share with us that many of our listeners can um, purchase and read to edify themselves. And I know you're working on your own publication, so we are excited and we look forward to it. So can you give us uh, uh, briefly some of the uh, text that we can get to edify ourselves? Sure, sure. The uh, The best books I found would be Answering Islam, and this is one by Norman Geisler and Abdul Salib. So just think of Geisler answering, answering Islam. Another one, Unveiling Islam by Ergen Kanner and his brother Amir, Unveiling Islam. And then Robert Spencer wrote a book, Islam Unveiled, which is also a very good overview. Uh, I really like what Robert Spencer has to say. I've, uh, I'm in the process of writing a book called A Christian's Guide to Islam. Uh, and that will come out uh, probably October, November, and that will be a, everything you need to know about Islam and about radical Islam. So it's going to be the go-to book, hopefully. But I did want to mention that if you are to witnessing to a Muslim, you really want to make a, friends with them. You want to develop a relationship, and you want to know what you believe as a Christian, mm. and you need to understand what they believe, uh, and that's why you would study about Islam and read these books. But then you want to be able to respond and answer their questions, because they're going to deny the Trinity. They're going to make ridicule the Trinity, and you need to be able to explain it at least, how God is a triune God and why our one God is in three persons. Amen. You need to be able to defend the deity of Christ, that he is God himself. God the Son, second person of the Trinity. And you need to be able to defend the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because they deny that. And that's our, our point to our salvation. If Jesus right. did not die on the cross for us, then we would not have anything to boast about. And then uh, to be able to defend the authenticity and historicity of the Bible. The Bible is accurate, and it is um, the Word of God, the true Word of God, not the distortion or the corruption uh, corrupted book that the Muslims believe. Thank you it is so the book much. To go to. Yes, thank you so much. That 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 is some wonderful information, and I pray that uh, we are able to have you back on the show. We just uh, we didn't even finish with half of the questions I had today, so we appreciate you. I'll be in touch, and may God continue to bless you and your ministry. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you, Perseus. Have God a blessed bless. day. That was Professor Jan Osik. Uh, from Southern Evangelical Seminary, and we thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy message as has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. 
Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. The love of God is immeasurable. It's unchanging. It's indescribable. Because God loves you so much, you can sleep through the night in peace. With Abide Bible Sleep Meditation, you can fall asleep fast with relaxing sleep stories based on Scripture. To start listening now, go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Abide Bible Sleep Meditation. You can also download the Abide app for more biblical meditations at abide.com.